Well, hey, look, if you got your Bible or you got your Bible app or you're following along with us in version, you can turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 26. Verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Hey, turn to your neighbor. Look him straight in the face. Turn to your neighbor. Your neighbor's the person sitting next to you, for those of y'all looking at me. Turn to your neighbor, look at them, and say, you don't get it. Turn to your other neighbor. Turn to your other neighbor. Look him in the face and say, you don't get it. Everyone look at me. Look at me. And say, Luke, you don't get it. We don't. We don't get it. We don't understand this story. I think you're like, Luke, I don't, what are you talking about? This is the, this is the Virgin Mary. It's Jesus' mom. What do you mean? I have a plastic version of her in my yard right now. I know who Mary is. And I'm trying to tell you, you don't, you don't get it. Let me try to explain to you. Let me try to explain this way. A couple weeks ago, uh, my wife and I, we went on a cruise with some friends. And um, if you've ever been on a cruise, there's, there's two things that you're guaranteed to see, right? Water and your weight go up because you are going to eat the whole time. And when you get done eating, you're going to eat again. And when you get done eating with that meal, you're going to plan your next eating adventure. And on our cruise, we had 20 restaurants or something like that. It was like 20 addi additional restaurants on top of the big fancy dinner place you go to at, at night. And now the deal with how it works on a cruise normally is you have these restaurants and you can eat all day at all times. But there's about half of them that will close down uh, throughout the day, right? So some of them will open for breakfast and they'll close for a little bit, get ready for lunch, and then they'll close for a little bit, get ready for dinner. But it's okay because there are literally like 10 other restaurants open at this time. So one day I had just, it was getting to the end of the week and I had just had my fill of food. I had a eaten a lot that morning. I said, I'm going to skip lunch. And then lo and behold, somehow I got a little bit hungry around 2.30. Well, 2.30 is the cutoff time for these restaurants that, that, that close. So I'm now walking around the boat trying to find a place where I can go and get some food. And there's this one place near the back of the boat that's this like sandwich shop. And at this sandwich shop, they, have, they make a Cuban sandwich. And the Cuban sandwich is one of my all-time favorites. And so I said, okay, yeah, I'll go there and check it out. So I'm just standing there waiting in line. Now, next to this 
sandwich shop is this little buffet place that has the fancy desserts. Not all, I mean, there's literally another buffet with probably 20 other cakes and ice cream and all, everything else. But this is like the fancy, like macaroons and stuff like that, that they're only open for part of the day. But this is behind us. So we're just standing in line. And oh, this, this, at this point, because it's closed, there's just a guy, a young guy just cleaning off the buffet. And this lady comes out of nowhere and goes, and just starts yelling at the guy. He just starts yelling at him. And I'm like, what is happening? So I pay attention, and, and I realize, because she, she has her phone like right in his face, and on her phone, she was showing him on the itinerary, they had listed the close time wrong. It actually closed at, closed at 2.30, but on there it said it closed at 3.30. So she's yelling at this guy because she can't get her fancy desserts. And if that's not insane enough, all, I'm watching this monstrosity unfold as this lady is yelling at this young man who can barely speak any English and is only saying, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm sorry, ma'am. This other lady decides to chime in and says, and she points her finger at this guy and says, you're withholding food from us. (laughs) As she is standing there with her finger pointed, in her other hand, she has a plate with three sandwiches. A buffalo chicken sandwich, a Reuben sandwich, a, a, a Cuban sandwich, and then a mountain of fries. And on her mountain of fries is ketchup and honey mustard and this like fancy aioli. And she literally had just dipped a French fry in ketchup and eaten it and is pointing at this guy saying, you're withholding food from us. And you're like, well, Luke, to be fair, that was probably for her, her husband. In the words of our president, wrong. He was standing right next to her with an identical plate, eating french fries and nodding along to his wife's additional beratement of this young man. And I just thought, what in the world is happening right now? And I went back and was telling Kira about it. And, and, I, was, and I was thinking about it. And I really think the problem was they couldn't, see reality past their own privilege. Like, I think that they had so much that they actually couldn't see. They, so they only saw what they didn't have, and which really, that's, a, that's probably another uh, sermon for another time. But I want to show you that there are, t- there are times where we are so blinded by how much we have. Now, and I think we actually approach the Bible that way. I think we don't realize how much history we have. Like, for, for Mary, Mary didn't, have, Mary didn't have any Gospels. She didn't have the New Testament. She didn't have Jesus. She, had just the, she, had, she didn't have that. And not only do we have that additional part of the Bible, the New Testament, what we call the New Testament, we also have 2,000 plus years of tradition and history and teaching. And so when I, we approach the Bible, we've got to really try to get into the Scripture and get into the moment with these people because I think it's so important for us with Mary. It's so important for us to understand Mary, because here's, here's, who, here's who Mary is. First of all, Mary is the first person to say yes to Christ. Like when we think about it, I'm not talking about salvation. She is the first person to, to say yes to receiving Christ. For her, it was a fit, it's very physical, because she, she was his mama. And I think in this moment right here, Mary becomes the archetype for our life with Christ. When we say yes to him, what we're saying yes to. But we need to know who Mary is. When I say we don't get it, we don't, we don't, understand, we don't understand her world. Not only are we separated from her world in years and geography and, and, and culture, all those things combined, it can become kind of confusing. 
So let's talk about who she is for a second. She is probably, at this point, probably about 14 to 15 years old. There's some, um, there's some estimates uh, that have her as young as 12 and 13, um, depending on the historian there. But she's about 14 or 15 years old. I, when, I was, when I was growing up, I used to think, like, oh, she was probably, like, 23 or 24. I had a kid at 23, so, I mean, like, I, I guess, like, it kind of, whatever. So, but she, uh, <laughs> but I thought, that's what I was thinking. I was like, oh, a young, a young maiden, a young virgin, betrothed for marriage. She's probably just gotten out of college and ready to start her life. No, she was a young teenager. And look, I am a student pastor, and I love every single one of my students. There is none of them between the ages of 12 to 15 that are ready to be parents, much less the mother to the son of God. Look, I, they're just not. They're not ready. And you're like, well, Luke, you don't maybe you're not being fair because culturally she might have had some more responsibilities and understood what it means to caretake. Yeah, 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 all of that. Humans still develop at the same speed, though. So she's still an undeveloped. She's a teenager. She's a kid. We would call her a minor. We don't let minors vote. We don't let minors drink or smoke. Or, and at this point, she couldn't even drive at this, for how old she is. And yet God is looking at her and saying, hey, you're going to be the mom to my son. So that's the first thing. She's, she's young. She's engaged. And we need to understand their engagement. The engagement at this time was very different than how we understand engagement. Um, for us, it's very flippant. Um, I don't mean that. I mean, I took my engagement very seriously, but I mean, we have like whole shows about like The Bachelor and the Bachelorette where we're just selling engagements left and right, not, not to throw your favorite show under the bus or anything. But then it was very different. We need, it's important to understand the engagement piece here because it was, if one of them were to die, if Mary or Joseph were to die, the other would be considered, she would be considered a widow and he would be considered a widower. Like it was that intense. It was that serious to them. Obviously she's, you know, Putting all this in perspective, she's a virgin. Do you know what? For, so for her to have a baby, for everyone to know she's a virgin, and then for this engagement to be so serious, she's now going to have a baby bump about the time that they're going to be getting married. And so people are going to be like, what happened? And, she, and would you believe someone if they're like, oh, I'm carrying the son of God right now? You're like, okay, sweetie. <laughs> all right, whatever. <laughs> Look, you messed up. Things got, things got a little hairy early on. All right. Like, we don't have to be telling lies here. But she, so she's young. She's a virgin. She is inexperienced. She is about to get married. And then I think there's another piece that's really interesting. It's, uh, it's, she's actually kind of from the middle of nowhere because how Luke describes this, he says that um, uh, she was in the city, uh, in a town, a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And actually, city is just how we translate it. There's actually not a translation for the word city in, in Greek, it's actually more, she was more like from like a, just a small village, kind of. I mean, it was barely nothing. Probably wouldn't even had their own zip code. But out of the middle of nowhere. So she's young, she's inexperienced, she knows hardly anything at this point about, how, about life. She's from, she's not from some big city, she's from in the middle of nowhere, and God has chosen her. God has chosen her. And it's so important for us to get into that mindset there because, because she is the archetype of our life with Christ. She wasn't ready. You see that? Like she's not ready to have a baby. She's barely ready to be a wife. Yet God has chosen her. 
And see, I think when I, a minute ago I said she's the first one to say yes to Christ. I think our lives are a constant, a daily yes to Christ. And I think this first yes to Christ is when Jesus comes to us, when Jesus seeks you out, he comes to you in your weakness. He comes to you in your weakness. When, uh, when Kira and I, I remember, I still remember the, the day I became a dad, like it was yesterday. It was probably, uh, it was a, I was buzzing the whole day. I was so excited to be a dad. I, like I told you, I was like, was I 23? I think I was 23. I was young, right? I was young and I was excited. The day was amazing. Like Kira did, was just a rock star. Like she just went, she had our baby. I cut the umbilical cord. We went upstairs. Our whole family was waiting on us and they were loving on us and loving on Eva. And then they all went home and Kira finally rested and I got my moment alone with my baby. And I remember picking her up and like holding her. <laughs> I'm tearing up talking about this. I'm holding her for a second and I was like, oh my gosh. I made a human. I made a human. Like I made, I come, I'm a God. Like I made a human. And as quickly as I said it, my feet got swept out from under me and I got toppled off that mountain because then I realized I've got to keep this thing alive. And I don't know how to keep myself hardly alive. How am I going to keep this baby alive? I forget to take the dirty clothes out of the washer and put them in the dryer before they mildew. I forget to take out the trash. I forget to pay our water bill. I forgot to, you know, a million different things. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to take care of myself, and now I've got to take care of this defenseless, innocent baby? I'm not ready for this. And it was in that moment and in that room while I'm holding Eva that I just had this feeling and this this peace that kind of came from God. It had to be God because I just had this... Things like, you know what? You can't do this alone. You can't do this alone because I'm going to be there with you. And it's really the same thing that Mary said. Because if you go back to verse 34, she says, she says to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How in the world are you going to make this thing happen? And the angels answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Your weakness, we try to mask our weakness so much. We try to do this life on our own strength. And God is trying to do something in you and through you, but it's not going to happen until you say yes to Christ. Yes to Christ. Our weakness is the moment. It's the moment. It's, It's a vulnerable moment between you and God. And Mary wasn't going to do this on her own. She was going to do this through the power of God. The next yes that we have to say to Christ, actually when Jesus comes to us, Jesus comes to us and shows us our fears. The story of Mary really echoes another story to me. It's it's the story of the, uh, the Israelites at the Red Sea. And you're like, this is weird. And I'm like, okay, just hang on with me. Israelites are leaving Egypt, right? Centuries of, of being enslaved. Centuries of being enslaved, and now Moses comes along, cue the plagues, then Pharaoh says, okay, y'all can go. So they go. They pack their things up, and they're gone. They start walking in their freedom, and then they get stuck at the Red Sea. They get stuck at the Red Sea. Not only are they stuck at the Red Sea, but Pharaoh decided he changed his mind, right? 
He changed his mind, and he sent all of his armies after them. So here are the Israelites, stuck at the Red Sea, can't go forward, can't go backward, and they don't have an army big enough to fight off these Egyptians. They're stuck. All they see is death. See, fear is this future-telling sense that we, that we have naturally, right? That it, it tries to tell you, it reads the room, reads the people, reads situations, and says, hey, be careful, danger. Uh, death might be ahead. It's a survival instinct. And with fear, uh, we always say, you know, either it's flight or fight. There's actually a third one. It's flight, fight, or freeze. I'm, I'm in the freeze category. I'm not a fighter. Um, I'm like those fainting goats that you, know, you scare them. They're like, man, <laughs> like fall over. Like that's who I am. I just like, I don't know what to do. That's what I mean, like a haunted house. Like a guy comes at me with a chainsaw. I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do at this moment. I'm just, it's frozen. Well, whether or not, no matter what, like the Israelites' natural sense of responding to fear, they were frozen. They were stuck. No end in sight. No way out. And Moses, in Exodus 14, chapter 14, verse 13, he says, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. And you're probably asking, Luke, what is the comparison to Mary? Look at this, in this moment with Mary that we read about in chapter 1 of Luke. She is told she is going to, she's a virgin, she's not married, but she's about to be pregnant. And then she's going to have to go tell Joseph. And Joseph may not want to stick around. He may wipe his hands clean of her, so there goes her economic stability. Her family could wipe her, 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 their hands clean of her. There goes her familial stability. Her friends could disown her. There goes her relational relationships. Her, her whole faith community could disown her. So there goes the whole bedrock of her culture built that she was, that she was raised on, gone. And if you don't think that they would have stoned her, just turn over to John chapter 8, where the Pharisees capture an adulterous woman in the act of adultery, how much more are they going to stone an, a pregnant, unwed mother who's claiming to have the Messiah inside of her? So there goes, there's death. And what is her response? Let it be. Let it be. Moses' response? Stand firm. And neither of them in those two moments, there was no exit. Fear was telling them, danger's coming. You're going to die. And both of them responded with, I will put my trust in God. I will put my trust in God at this moment. Our fears and anxieties, they become this, they become this, this echo chamber that drowns out, that drowns out God. It's, I think what fear says to us is that God's not enough. God's not enough for this moment. And we all have fears. We all have anxieties. We all have things that are deep within us that just that freeze us in the moment. And those fears and those anxieties, they, they are drowning out the voice of God that's saying, hey, I'm here. 
like the angel, it's not going to be on your own power. It's going to be on the power of, it's going to be the power of God. And some of y'all, look, there's enough people in here. There's a a plenty of diverse situations, right? There's plenty of things to have anxiety over, whether it's your marriage or your job or your finances, whether it's your kids. So many, especially as a youth pastor, I hear so many um, like parents that are concerned about their teenage kids not wanting to be be at church, and they're concerned about them. And you know, and I get it. I'm a parent. I'm a parent. I, that, that would cause me a lot of anxiety. Luckily, we haven't, our marriage hasn't gone through some rocky situations, but I, my loved ones have. And it's, it's caused, my, it caused anxiety in me, so I can't imagine how much anxiety it caused in them. Job losses. My gosh. There's, there's so much that can happen to us that, can tell, that tells us you're not going to make it. This is going to overcome you. This is going to overtake you. And if we're looking at Mary and we're saying, how do we say yes to Christ in a moment of fear? You do it like Moses and Mary and you stare at the fear. Because see, inside of us, our internal lives are this container. And in this container, there's only so much room. There's only so much room that can fit inside this container. And if it's not Jesus, then it is your fears. If you're, if, you don't, if you're not relying on Jesus' strength, then it's your own strength. And so then your internal life is this container just filled with you. And the thing about our fears is our fears actually, if they promise us peace, but what it actually delivers to us is just more fear and more anxiety. And it just builds up and it builds up and it builds up and it builds up. And Mary says, I want, I believe in a God that delivered the Israelites. Because she knew about them. God is going to deliver me. So let it be. The last thing is Jesus comes to us to restore. Jesus comes to us to restore. That's the whole reason for Jesus. It's restoration. Jesus came to this world to restore after we have, our sin has just completely ravaged each other. And I mean, our history, good Lord, we are, we are horrible. We don't know how to treat each other right. We, don't, we just don't. So it comes to us to restore this world. He came to, us to, he came to restore how we view God. We thought God was this wrathful nitpicker that wants to, cannot wait to just throw you into the pits and fires of hell. That Lord knows that was what was preached to me. But that's not what Jesus preached. Jesus came and showed us, we're not, we're not sinners in the hands of an angry God. We're sinners in the hands of a loving and graceful God. Amen. And then Jesus came to restore our own view of our, how God sees us. God isn't looking to you. The Pharisees thought, if we can just earn the favor of God, then we will turn this ship around. If we can just be better and cleanse ourselves, then God will finally have favor on us. And God said, I'm going to go to the weakest among you and show you I have, you have the favor of God in your life because he loves you. Jesus came to restore that. We, some of you might have been raised similar to me 
where you had to earn, it was a, I was always at the altar getting resaved and repenting from some sin that I committed that weekend because I talked back to my parents. I don't know. That's not, that's not who God is. And that's not how he looks at us. He doesn't look to us to be perfect. Thank God. He doesn't look to us to be perfect. Jesus came to restore, and it was only through Mary that that, really, that that happened. Jesus came because Mary said yes. Mary said, there's not enough of you in here, God. I need more of you in here. God, I have a lot of fears. I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know how you're going to bring me through this, but I'm going to say yes to you and to your son. And when that happens, when we say yes to Christ, we are going to end up in circumstances that it's going to rock us. Every day, there's probably a situation that's coming around the corner that's going to rock you. It's getting ready to rock you. But if you are saying yes to Christ the way Mary said yes to Christ, then you stand on this precipice and you look into the fires of hell and you say, let it be, because I have a God who I trust, who is powerful, and it's not on my strength. I'm going to say yes to him to fill me up with his own strength and his power to move through this. It's not my my courage is the courage of God. Amen. It's the courage of the Spirit. Amen. You, Paul said, Paul said uh, every day I take up my cross. And I think understanding how Paul looked at, sal- looked at salvation and Jesus, I mean, for him, Jesus was, <laughs> was really everything in so many ways. And he said, every single day I pick up my cross. It's because he, he, his theology, his beliefs on God was so in, that, in the, the death and resurrection and so he believed every single day, something's got to die. Because something inside of me that is just human, and it's not God, and it needs to be resurrected, and I need to be a new person with God. And it's got to be every single day. So it's not, when, when we talk about salvation, we, we talk about this one-time thing, and then we say a prayer, and when we wonder why our life isn't radically altered. It's because your life has to daily be radically altered. It's a daily thing, this walk with God. And it's not for the faint of heart, right? It is not for the faint of heart. You know, when it, when it comes to fear and the things that are unfair, you might be saying, Luke, well, what happens when the, the bad thing happens? The thing that we are so afraid of, what do we do? You know, Jesus, his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded. It was a really grotesque scene in the Bible where this power-hungry person just manipulates a moment and kills John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin, right? This is Jesus' family. This is the person that told the world, was the first one to tell the world, hey, the Messiah is here. He's coming. Get ready. And the worst happened to him? So what in the world's going to happen to me? You know what Jesus did? He went to the mountains. He retreated. He got away. And then he ministered out. We live our lives in a way to protect ourselves from anything bad happening. Lord, especially parents and Probably, I know our generation's called helicopter parents and whatever, but we, want, we don't want anything bad to happen to our kids, and we don't want anything bad to happen to ourselves, and it's the thing that we fear the most, and what God is saying is, if you would just trust me, I am the, I am the power, 
I am the courage, I am the strength that's going to see you through this. Let's stand up across this place. To understand Mary is to understand how we are to live with Christ. And it's a daily yes. Your life with Christ is a daily yes. And Jesus isn't looking for you to be the strongest. He's just asking for your trust. And he's not looking for you to have the most courage. He's just asking you not to look at your fear and to look to him. And so... Today, let's just stretch out our hands. And today, I'm going to give you the moment to just say your yes to Christ. What is your moment? What is your area of your life that God's not there? God, I pray for every person in here, for every moment of unsurety, for every fear and anxiety that is weighing them down, for every person that is walking through one of the hardest seasons of their life, we look to you and we just say yes to you. We say yes to you. And we ask that you remove any distractions and you make it very clear what we are saying yes to. God, we give you our fears and we accept your strength. We are not gonna do this life alone we're not going to do it on our own power. We're going to look to you. God, be with us today. Holy Spirit, we say yes to you. Amen. Amen.